Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing Damien Chazelle's newest film, Babylon. All right, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for Babylon? Sure. A tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess, it traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. Mm, yes. Very fitting. Very fitting. Okay, and in sweet tradition, we will start off with our one-sentence summaries for Babylon. Go ahead, Sarah. Okay, I have two. Oh, okay. Me, I wrote a few of them, but these are my two best. Okay. Number one is enablers gonna enable. Yes. Because <laughs> that is the entire movie. Let's just uh-huh. be honest here. Uh-huh. And then my second one is singing in the rain a la Tarantino. <laughs> nice. Both great. Right? Great entries. This is why Love I couldn't I couldn't choose. You couldn't. Nope. <laughs> uh, you are back with the the, the pithy ones and yes. summaries with only three words. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Always always trying to there. get as few words as possible in these summaries. <laughs> My one sentence summary is I think I need an aspirin for my secondhand movie hangover. <laughs> You're not wrong. I think we need to start a new genre called uh, movies that you will leave with a hangover from the three hour experience. Mm-hmm. Ready Player yeah. One's on this list. Oh, God. You know? Oof. Yeah, that was Elvis that was is bad. probably on this list. Yeah. Thankfully, we, we watched Elvis. Uh, we streamed Elvis. Yes. So I don't know about you, but I paused a few times to go get snacks. Yes. And like take a breath of oxygen into yes. your brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Okay. Uh, let's dive in with our initial thoughts of Babylon and uh, we will talk generally about this film before we dive into spoiler territory. So Sarah, I'm curious your thoughts about Babylon. I'm curious my thoughts about Babylon too. Oh, um, oh, this is fun. I love I love these kind of episodes. I I had a fairly good time watching this film. Um it's it, it's you're watching a train wreck for three hours is really what it is. And Which it's is that fun. <laughs> it is fun. It's that like everything is so bad and just like messed up with these characters but I can't look away you Mm -hmm. know it's that like train wreck thing and you know Damien Chazelle is just he's a good filmmaker he knows what he's doing there's some really like bold choices with the direction uh the score was my favorite part of this whole movie it is phenomenal which is not surprising but Uh, early on in the film, and we can talk about it a little bit more in detail, but early on, I wondered if this was just going to be too big of a movie. And I think it is. I think the scale of this film, uh, is to its detriment. I think that it tried to go too big, that it kind of loses the characters. And so even these character moments that we try to have, I didn't feel like they were super 
deep or meaningful some of these themes that they were trying to communicate. I don't know that it was as effective because the movie almost seemed more interested in being grandiose and larger than life and this spectacle than actually rooting the story in anything. Um, and so I, I, I think that is one of my, my big qualms with this. I think if this had been uh, scaled down just a little bit and maybe focused on one or two central characters instead of like four or five, and if, if it had been less about, you know, the Hollywood as a whole and more about this one or two person journey in Hollywood, then through their experience, you can make all these bigger points about Hollywood and movies and the changing of the times and what it means to leave a legacy and like all of these other themes that, that I feel like are present, but I don't know, they just kind of felt muddled to me. So while it was a fun experience and I was I was intrigued and engaged for the most part, I kind of walked away going, eh, I, I don't know that this really landed as I think it could have. I think you're right that this film um, kind of falls on its own sword with its own ambitions. Uh, but it does so much of what it attempts to set out to do quite well as well. I I heard about this movie um, through some of the headlines over the past couple of weeks and it being described as this like overly uh, – like the sen- sensory overstimulation that it's just kind of uh, made to be a spectacle just to be a spectacle. And I thought that was really going to hate this movie. Uh, but I ended up liking it a lot more than I was actually prepared for. I do think that um, a lot of the points that you're making is is aligned with my thoughts. One of my notes that I have jotted down here is interesting character arcs, not enough in each character's arc. So I, I feel like this movie, a three hour and nine minute long behemoth falls into the same traps that a lot of the movies that we've been reviewing that have been this long have also fallen into, which is that it tries to do so much and packs so many storylines in to a three-hour experience. I mean, I'm thinking about our discussion about Avatar, the way of water, and the way that it tries to give us like five or six family member storylines all at the same time. And inevitably, our our emotional loyalties cannot be invested deeply into the nuances of each of those storylines as much as if we were really able to zero on just a few of them. So I wonder if there's a version of this movie that is two hours long, focuses on maybe three of our main characters. And I and it's interesting because I actually think that this movie generally centers on three of our main characters. It's only in mm-hmm. the second half where we kind of get more of these uh, events and moments and plot points with a few other ones that are kind of thrown in there. So I'm sure there's like a cut of this movie that's even longer with more of those characters' arcs. But to me, this movie really focuses on Diego Calva, Margot Robbie, and Brad Pitt's characters. And had we just focused in on those three characters and a lot of their interactions together, I think this could have been stronger. I I do love some of what this film does. There are some scenes that I absolutely adored. And I was like, man, if we just got more of this throughout the film, this would have been great. There's some, some scenes where Chazelle's really able to create 
tension within a scene and then give us that satisfaction and resolution of that scene. And uh, clearly he knows how to write a scene. Had this been constructed better, this could have been really great. There's some other choices that this film makes, especially in the second half, where I was like, oh, I, I wonder if this is really necessary. Um, and I think it contributes mm-hmm. to this feeling like a big showy piece. And there's a lot of things that I, I wonder if could have been done more tastefully. So um, I'm also curious when we get to spoiler territory about your thoughts on that ending sequence, the denouement of this movie, uh, that montage, and mm-hmm. uh, what your thoughts yep. were about that. I thought it was such an interesting choice. So yeah, mixed feelings as well. But I overall was surprised at how much I enjoyed this. I didn't expect to. Good. I am glad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did wonder. I was like, oh, how is Jen going to do with this? It's a lot. It is <laughs> it's a, a lot. lot. But I, 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 one of the things that I was thinking about after this film ended is – I think that this film works as well as, as it does because of the charisma of Diego Calva, Makarabi, and Brad Pitt. I, I think with yes. other actors, this could have easily fallen into melodrama and just been too much and 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 really frustrating to watch. Um, maybe this is a good time for us to give the spoiler alert since yeah. we'll dive yeah, into the throw it in characters. here. Uh, yeah, so if you haven't seen Babylon, it's it's available out in theaters. It'll be probably out in theaters for quite a couple of weeks longer. Uh, we recommend checking it out before continuing to listen. Uh, okay, let's let's start with those three characters because I I think what's interesting is that those three actors have such a natural charisma, but the characters that they play could have easily been incredibly infuriating and they still are but there's something that's endearing there's something that's charming about perhaps the way that they're written and the way that they uh are are delivering those performances that make you want to root for them as flawed and difficult and um complicated as they are they make terrible choices throughout this movie and yet you just start kind of rooting for them and i think that a lot of that is due to the natural charisma of the characters and what they bring to these roles and and that complexity that they bring to it mm-hmm. this was definitely one of those that i just i wanted to get all of them in therapy <laughs> <laughs> especially manny i was like you are such a good guy i need you to stop enabling unhealthy people I need you to work that out for yourself and just get healthy uh so I was just I was very concerned for him for most of the movie but I was I was really blown away by Margot Robbie and I feel like I say that in almost every movie we watch that she's in but she just has this like brashness and this fearlessness in this film and appears to have fully given herself over to this character and gives a thousand percent in every scene and just when you think you've you've seen you know just the the most crazy thing she's gonna do then she does something else even more crazy and so it was just fascinating to see not only how the film strategically like builds upon this character and shows us more of her throughout but it was it was so cool to just see Margot Robbie play all of these little nuances as well because obviously she's like this big brash character but even within that you can see these little moments so like 
at the end with her and Manny when Manny is like, I love you. I want to run away with you, blah, 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 blah. And you see her turn on her actor thing in that moment. And it was this like, oh man. So I just, I loved being able to see her just doing her craft so well. And it's these little things that she does amidst the big actions that I think made that performance really, really, really special and makes her stand out so much in this film. Yeah, she doesn't lose those quieter moments, those incredibly introspective and reflective moments. I'm thinking about that scene in the car where her and Manny stumble upon each other again and they're in the the taxi and I think they're going to visit her mother. And she's incredibly soft and complex and and in her facial expressions you can see this tenderness and this this little girl inside of her and then she turns on the big personality in the next scene and so her range is just incredible in this movie she is electric i think that uh the character of uh manny is typically incredibly frustrating for me to watch on screen it still is but part of what he's captivated by is uh margot robbie her character's charisma and I'm also captivated by that as well. And so it's almost like this. We, I naturally had this empathy for him as well, just watching her. He is like mesmerized by her in that opening scene where he, she, he watches her do her thing at the party. And I too was mesmerized by this electric personality that you just want to be around. And the amount of like confidence and vision and flair that she has is absolutely captivating. So, you know... I, I was under the Margot Robbie spell as well. I don't blame you, Manny. And I loved that that recurring theme that she says over and over again, that whole, like, you're either a star or you're not, and I'm a star. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that that is our introduction to her, is that mindset, uh, which I thought was just so fun. And it, it was kind of fun to see this, this you know, larger-than-life, up-and-coming actress who is just brash and bold and wild. And then this softer guy who is just mesmerized by her. It was, it was just kind of nice to see those roles maybe a little bit reversed than how they normally are. And she is the dominant one in their relationship. And, and he is the one who is infatuated with her, uh, even though she doesn't really see it. So I thought that that was a really good and strategic uh, way to write it, write these characters, because it made for some interesting like power dynamics between the two. Mm-hmm. Especially when you see both of their careers beginning to take off as well, and mm-hmm. very different types of uh, roles and and um, contexts within the Hollywood industry. You know, he is incredibly meticulous, and he essentially is operational and and makes the set run. And she is in front of the camera and. When their careers are beginning to take off, we really are rooted back and harken back to knowing these characters from their early moments where they just had these big dreams in Hollywood. It really is the the like classic Hollywood trope of people moving to LA pursuing this dream of becoming a star and making it in the movies. It's it's all of that being played out in and coming to fruition. And I loved that Manny's desire to be in the movies was the the magic 
of the movies. I, I love that he also didn't want to be a star. He didn't want to be on the camera. He just wanted to be on set and helping to create this magical thing. And so I thought, again, like that's a really, a really interesting choice for one of our main protagonists to make him a little bit more reserved, at least in the beginning, you know, he, he has to adjust as his role changes, but that he's okay with being a little fish in a big pond. And that was, again, just like a refreshing choice, especially for a male protagonist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wonder if, if potentially part of this, well, this is what I took away from, I don't know if this was, if this was Giselle's intentions, but there are so many scenes dedicated to showcasing all of the people that are featured on set that need to do their jobs and their roles to make the stars a star. You know, there, there's there's so many scenes dedicated to that. And so in a way, it feels like this movie is also a love letter to everyone else in Hollywood that may not be the big name celebrity stars that we remember from the the the, the past days of cinema, but they were just as integral to making the films of magic and making those films come alive. And the fact that we have a character that also desires that feels like it's a, it's an accurate representation of what, what it all takes to create a film. And I, I appreciated that a lot. I think um, sometimes we tend to bias towards, uh, you know, the, the big flashy people that we see in front of the camera. Uh, you know, we, I believe it was last year or the previous year's um, Oscar ceremony, but so many of those other categories of people, the sound designers, the production designers, those categories weren't even shown live. And it was this big uh, conversation in the film industry around how there are certain categories or types of roles that we glorify more than others. And to give one of our main characters this role and to showcase that and give so much screen time to show to showing all that needs to happen uh, operationally behind the scenes on set just feels feels fitting and it feels intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And those behind the scenes moments were my favorite part of the whole film. It was just so fun to see all of the little people and all of the things that went into making all of these. And I, I loved the contrast between the silent films and then the talkies and seeing how they had to innovate and change almost everything about how they made a film and, and watching them try and figure that out and, and learn how to adjust with the times. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that, you know, to have two movies, this and The Fablemans, that are both about yeah. like the process of making movies, but very different films. Um, but both of them in their own ways are celebrating the magic of cinema and the process of making a movie and all the people that are involved and everything. So it's just kind of cool to see, you know, these two movies, they could not be more different, but they have that same, you know, central theme uh, at their heart. It was just interesting. Mm-hmm. That is probably my favorite scene in this entire movie is the long sequence where they are attempting to get that one take of Margot Robbie coming in and the way that Damien Chazelle is able to build tension and continually increase the tension. It's the same goal that these characters are trying to do. And somehow each time something goes wrong, you feel the room 
just continue to tense up and this anxiety and this fear of like, will we get the shot? And then it just, it's a masterful scene. And I feel like there are, there are so, there's so much else happening in this movie that sometimes feels a little bit wandering. Like we're just kind of hanging out in this world with these characters. A lot of the scenes with uh, Brad Pitt's character felt a little bit like that to me. And that scene was so incredibly structured and intentional. And I just feel like had we, had we had more scenes that were like that, that were able to give us that rise and fall within a scene, but then strategically also make a point that is then built on in the following sequences, this film could have felt, I think, a little bit tighter than it does right now. It's a little bit sprawling. Perhaps that's intentional as well to make it feel like we're just kind of wandering through this uh, decadent world. But I just, I thought that scene was so well done. There's so many other Damien Chazelle movies that are able to capture that same rise and fall structure within a scene like whiplash does this so many times in a lot of the interactions between miles teller's character and jk simmons character where they they just are able to build this tension and then give you that release before we're on to the next scene and i'm just excited to see what damien chazelle will create next because i think that that scene is such a great example of what he can do we just kind of need to multiply that and structure it in this overarching uh film's rise and fall and I love how long that scene is. We see eight or nine takes of the same scene. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about there was probably, I mean, because this is a three hour long movie. So imagine how mm-hmm. long the first cut was. And I, I wonder if there was pressure to, you know, trim that down and make it more of a montage or, you know, like show one and two and four, five and seven are like a montage and then eight and nine you see again. But man, the, the pacing of that and, and the way that, like you were saying that that scene builds upon itself and you get to see so much happening in that one little moment in time. Oh my gosh. It was absolutely brilliant. It was like, like you were saying, like, that was one of those moments in this film where I was like, yes, this is perfect. Like, yeah, <laughs> you have yeah, really perfection is. in this scene. Whereas other parts of the movie, I was like, oh, my God, why are you doing this? But you get to see these moments of genius. And that is that's absolutely what I loved. Yeah, yeah. It's just well constructed. This is like if, if we could make a list of top 10 scenes from the end of the year, this would be one of them. Uh it's, it's the equivalent level of like just well-designed and all of the filmmaking components are are working together in the same way that there's that scene in uh, Tar in the classroom where it's, again, the, the, the camera mm-hmm. movement, the pacing, the motion is all aligned perfectly. You know, every time we continue to come back to that shot of her shoes walking up to the X spot that she needs to stand at. I was anxious every time for her. I'm like, oh, please let the shoes go to the X mark because we saw the effects of when that doesn't happen and we feel the stakes of it. And it, and the fact that we continue to revisit that same shot from the exact same angle every single time, just that that strategy alone, like he clearly knows and understands how we as human beings are responding to scenes like this and and the parallel uh shot every single time they do a new take 
with that moment is just it highlights the repetitive nature of just feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over again from the point of Nelly. But also for us as the viewers, I'm like every time, please get get to the, your spot because we know that the room's going to explode um, if she doesn't. So the mm-hmm. the other you know parallel piece that's used again and again is that door opening. Um, uh, that lets in the light, you know, and and the, the like mm-hmm. way the camera whips over to the shot of that door opening. And then one of the times the doors open, it's the executive producer or some some big boss, you know, that is there to observe how the scene is going. And then you feel the tension in the room rise again. It's just, it's the Top Gun Maverick ending sequence of this movie. Just knows how to create tension and give us that release. Mm-hmm. And and we're not just a passive observer, but because we know what's happening, we know what needs to happen, and we've been with them through so many takes, now we are emotionally invested in this, and we are stressed along with them and want them so badly to accomplish this. So again, like just brilliant use of all of those filmmaking components to get us really hooked in to what's going on in that one scene and like you were saying like rooting for these characters to get this one simple little scene and then the 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 thrill when they are able to actually pull it off was so satisfying Mm -hmm. and then the twist right when they realize they didn't get the shot oh (laughs) so good it's just so good man that was that was genius Okay, I am curious your thoughts on this ending montage sequence that happens at the end of the movie. What were your thoughts about it? Okay, so one of my other uh, one-sentence summaries that I wrote Mm -hmm. was the origin story of Tron, Avatar, and more. (laughs) So true. It's so true. Man. Did it work for you? No. Yeah. The hell. I so as I say in almost every episode I'm not good with like metaphors and stuff and so sometimes when a movie is like okay we're gonna take it and we're gonna make it so much bigger I feel like they don't always do it in a way that makes sense like to me you had already made the point of all of these people contributed something and created something that will long outlive them like that that point was reiterated again and again and again so then to go and watch singing in the rain which the whole movie is a ripoff of singing in the rain which is fine but it just made me want to go watch singing in the rain but that's another story so he's watching this movie and then he goes to sleep and he has this hallucination of all of these other movies i'm going what is wrong with you? Why are we doing this? Why are mm-hmm. we trying to make this movie even bigger? Like you already had a big movie that I think was too big for this. And then you say to hell with it. I'm going to go even bigger. And that's when I went, no, I'm done. I'm done with this movie. I need to be out of this theater. And then the movie <laughs> was over and it was great. And there's all those color like ink sequences I, just, I think it was supposed to represent like um the 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 color toning that they'll they'll do to like old yeah. films right but ah, man I I did not understand so I was just like you know what he's just tripping on something 
<laughs> and there we go. Problem well, he's solved. in the theater, right? When yeah. he's thinking, uh, I think, we're, are we supposed to believe that as he's watching Singing in the Rain, he is now thinking back to his own career and then thinking back to the way that he has helped contribute to this mm-hmm. larger arc of film throughout the years and decades and then he's grateful that he has played this small part is what i'm assuming that's supposed to be mm-hmm. yes and in the middle of it he he is able to go into the future and see <laughs> tron and avatar and others because that's of course right. he's able to right that's how drugs work <laughs> i i I just felt found it a little bit pretentious. A hundred percent. To be like, our movie is the ode to cinema, and we are going to create a montage of cinema from all the way back to like the early like frame by frame pieces, mm-hmm. the through man- to the future. Like we are that movie. <laughs> That's what it yeah. felt like the movie was saying, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Also. No pressure, but like how they curate that montage of tiny little clips from all of these iconic films together. I'm like, you by by creating this montage alone, you are putting a stake in the ground of what you are deeming to be important versus not important films, and that also feels like a large task for this one movie and this one creative team to be claiming as well. You know, so. I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. I didn't either. But I did love that scene of a black man riding a horse because it made yeah. me think of Nope and then yeah. it made me happy. Yeah. Yeah. So at least there's that. Yeah. But yeah, it was problematic is a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really am curious the – like. The, the conversations behind, like, do we include this or do we not? It just – it feels like mm-hmm. such a bold statement to make. Yeah. And if you're putting that out there, of like, these are the important films. We're going to make a montage of it. Like, you better be able to really back that up. And that just feels contentious to do, you know? Like, I'm like, I, w- mm-hmm. I would think that you would advise, like, hey, let's, let's not do this because we don't want to open ourselves up to the criticism, like – well, this movie was not included in the montage and this one wasn't. Like, how could we not include this entire wave or this entire country's filmmaking, right? Like, this this is a this is a bold stake in the ground. And I was also just wondering how much money that montage cost. Mm. I mean, mm. I don't know how, like, licensing and things work. It's stuff <laughs> way over my head. But I would imagine you got to pay a pretty penny for some yeah. of these movies to be featured in your movie. And... To me, that soured the entire movie for me. And so to potentially spend so much money on something that I would imagine is not landing with a lot of people is not a great choice. It's not great creatively, and it's probably not great financially either. So I just, I I wish that that had been tweaked or even removed altogether. I mean, just having him watching singing in the rain and recalling his own life that would have accomplished all of that you didn't need the hallucination of all the movies in the future 
I, it just, it feels like such a bad decision that I know for me, like I was tracking, I was tracking. I didn't love him coming back in 1950, whatever, but I was like, okay, you know what? We're going to do this. Oh, we're watching singing in the rain to make it clear that this whole movie is singing in the rain, but different. And then we went into that montage and I went, oh no, I dislike this movie now. You're like, no, 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 please. Abort mission. Right? Just just pull the parachute. You should have pulled it minutes ago. And then we would have been fine. The other thing that I found problematic about that is that it seems to suggest that the future of filmmaking is computerized, which I fundamentally Mm -hmm. disagree with. It, it, it very might well be that that will be our future, but for this film to to suggest that that is the future for movies also feels like a bold and pretentious claim. Like, who, who are we to say how we will continue to evolve and if technology will be a, an incredibly integral part of it? It has been so far, but there's been – there's been so many other industries where we actually have a celebration of going back to the tactile and there's a there's a greater appreciation for that. Like where was – is there stop motion in this? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I feel like this movie is projecting into the future based on where we have gone so far and that feels like an overly simplified model, you know? Like it's almost like we have this linear line on our graph and we're just going to continue to chart it. Like – we don't know who the next change maker might be that causes this graph to turn and that line to turn in a different direction. And we have a totally different trajectory for the future of cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a similar thought, like wondering is, is the point that Damien Chazelle is trying to make is just as silent film transitioned to the talkies. Now we're transitioning from film as it has been into CGI computers, all that jazz. And like, is that the thesis of this? And to me, like that just feels so wrong as like mm-hmm. as a thesis. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just so like the more that I've thought about that, again, the more that I've disliked this film, because honestly, that just like goes against all the movies that I tend to connect with. I tend to connect with those that aren't CGI heavy or have little CGI at all. And so I just, again, struggled. Like if that is your thesis of this film that we have to transition into this computer heavy filmmaking thing, I just vehemently disagree. Uh, So I... It's just a mm, weird mm-hmm. note to end on. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. I also think like, it's also not clear enough, you know, like if that is your thesis, if that is what you're trying to communicate with this film is adapt, change with the time, adaptation is good and it's what we need. And while I totally agree with that, I think that there's a better way of making that point than this random montage at the end and then the movie's over like if that was the point I think we could have made that a little bit better Mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's a that's that's a good point which is that it's unclear what the film is trying to say about this transition because I I feel like there could be a reading of this film and my conspiracy theory for Damien Giselle creating this movie is that uh it's showcasing 
what we had to sacrifice to make that transition. You know, like that whole sequence that we talked about, the scene that we we loved, um, in a way, it's such a contrast to how free and 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 uh, grounded in reality and and these large sets that were outdoors that we saw in the films that were being created up until that point, you know, like that scene where she's, you know, in the, in the bar and she's able to, to have full freedom and her electric Mm -hmm. energy is able to be fully expressed on screen. And then we see her so incredibly constrained. Um, You know, there's that little bit where she says like, Oh, I just felt like I had a little light lightness in my step. Like she, she can no longer express in that way. And in a lot of ways she feels incredibly caged in, by the constraints of having to create this in sound. And I think there's so many shots in this film that um, are like wide shots of these large sets or studios that are created um, on these sprawling, you know, film campuses because everything now needs to be indoors because we are creating in sound versus contrasting that with the first part of the film where we are like out in the middle of the desert shooting this like big epic war film. And those are trade-offs that we've made um, that everything is almost constructed and, and meticulously created and curated versus it being kind of grounded in reality and um, these real life sets where, you know, we're losing the light and we happen to get this like perfectly magical shot uh, because the sun was setting and everything went wrong on set that day. There's, there's a trade-off that's made in going from having to deal with the raw, organic world and filming within those worlds and now we are kind of like in these human created sets that are trying to mimic reality and so I wonder if that that's a I don't think that's the point of this movie unfortunately based on the the way that the ending um unfolds but it's it, the fact that there could be two readings of this is in itself, I think a little bit confusing. So this goes back to potentially your point around this film being a little bit muddled. There's maybe no perspective that this movie's trying to make. It's just trying to showcase like this transition that happens in reality. But I think inevitably, each film and each creator usually has some underlying point that they're looking to make. Even even if there it's it's not like obviously spelled out for us. I feel like underneath all of the subject there's usually some point that they're looking to make about this transition yeah and I I think like I like that that reading of look at all we've lost I I would have liked that (laughs) a lot more (laughs) um but again I I feel like that that ending little montage is, is kind of what ruins it. You know, even if this was just following these three people through this transition, um, I, I think that, that, that maybe could have been enough. It's honestly, I have so many issues with that ending montage. It soured the entire movie for me. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. really unfortunate. I just, I, I think that that was a really, misguided choice because there's so much good throughout this movie it's 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 bold and it's interesting to watch visually and it hooks you in and and you want to to be in the theater watching these people but man that montage was rough 
it's almost like they try to color outside of the 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 lines um and take this film to a deeper meaning than it needed to be you know like this film in a lot of ways is a love letter to that era of Hollywood. So why are we talking about the current and the present, you know? Like why – unless there's a really crisp point you're trying to make to connect it to the present the way that like the Black Klansman does with that mm-hmm. final yes. like news footage, which is so powerful and it's incredible what that does to reframe the rest of the movie that we we just experienced. But, you know, does this movie need to like bring it back to the present? Clearly, they have some point that they're trying to make with that. It's just unclear what it is. And I don't think it's, I don't think it really, like, earns it, you know? Mm-hmm. I There's a way, probably, to set that up. And I don't feel like the film does a good job setting that up, you know? I, yeah, I just, I I feel as though it's unnecessary because the themes the points were already made. And so instead of that montage being like an exclamation point about, you know, the legacy of film and, 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 you know, art inspiring art and, you know, like all of these things being part of something bigger, all of those, like that montage has very little to do with those. So if that's your point is trying to talk about like the magic of film and, and how we're contributing, like all the people who make it are contributing to something larger and creating something that will live on. That montage really doesn't do anything with that. <laughs> it just is confusing and mm-hmm. visually not fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, frustrating. Okay. I think we have beat the montage to death. Uh, <laughs> What else would you like to talk about about Babylon? Uh, I'd like to talk about the underground party scene that happens. Oh, Jesus. It's a lot. And I don't know if it was necessary. I think the first opening party scene, absolutely necessary. Like we are sucked down the rabbit hole of this movie and we are like transported to a different world and fully ushered in and it's a really strong way to start this movie and kind of ground us in like this is the world that we are about to explore strap in your strap get strapped into your seat and like hold on tight i i loved it it's a lot that opening scene's also still a lot but i think it's it's tastefully done where it's meant to be a little bit over the top and we get it i just don't know why that underground party scene was really necessary. It doesn't seem like it adds a lot. I think it potentially is trying to make a point around like you thought we saw it all, but no, there's like this underground world of people that are a next level debauchery. But I don't think it adds anything to the larger points of the movie, which again, I think goes back to like, what is this movie trying to say? And does everything else in the movie serve to function within that purpose. And I, I don't think that that underground party scene was really making any point that was lasting or memorable. It just kind of takes you aback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that could have been easily cut, you know, cause you could have just had, and I get it. Like the, the tension of, okay, you've, you've paid off this guy. He's clearly on a lot of drugs. He is a powerful dude, but he could 
flip out and have his henchmen kill you at any moment. Like that is tense enough. Then you find out that the money is fake. Wow, it makes it more tense. So the longer that you're spending with this insane character, the more likely he is to find out that the money is fake and kill you. Um, so like, I understand why we needed to spend so much time and why we needed to go to a second location with the crazy guy, which is never a good idea. But by that point, I mean, we're so far into the movie. You've been in the theater for so long. Like, yes, I care about Manny because he's probably, eh, he's one of the better characters in this. But also, I'm like, you're a moron and you deserve to die. Like, at this point, you're stupid. <laughs> and if he shoots you, it's fine. So <laughs> well deserved. I just, I don't know. It, it was at that point where I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I think there's a way to, to keep those stakes, keep that tension, but do it more quickly. Do it more efficiently. Um, I don't know, because I honestly, I checked out during that. And then that's when, you know, blood and shooting and stuff was introduced and all of that. But I, I think there's a way to get him and the Count on the run without having to go through all of that additional debauchery, which I don't think actually adds anything to the movie. It just gave me a reason to check out. And that obviously was not the goal of this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, before going into this movie, I, I read a bunch of headlines and, and reviews around this being like kind of an over-sensory, um, overloaded mess of just bacchanalia, right? And the opening scene was it's a lot, but for the most part, the rest of the movie is pretty tame and pretty okay. There's a lot that happens, but it's nothing crazy. And then this is the scene where I was thinking, ah, I see where some of these comments were coming from because it just – it feels a little bit uh, distasteful and it kind of crosses the line of what is needed and, and um, what purpose it serves. You know, like we've we've watched plenty of other movies that do a lot visually that are uncomfortable and difficult to watch, but they, they feel – purposeful in a lot of ways and and I think this is uncomfortable because there is no purpose to it or at least I do not comprehend what the purpose of it was so it's harder to endure um so that didn't really work well for me I think uh just it takes it, it this movie's already pushing it on the line and I think it takes it a little bit too far on that scene so not my favorite mm -hmm. I agree the the other two parts uh that were also not my favorite was the opening with the elephant just crapping yeah. all over the dude. And then later in the movie where Nelly is just like spewing vomit all over yeah. the place for a long time. I was like, nope, I'm going to look away from the screen because I don't want to watch that. And it lasted for so long and felt so unnecessary. And I was very annoyed. Yeah. You're just like, why? Why? Who could do without this? You've made your point. <laughs> we get it. Yeah. I, I think that's what I – and I, I get it. Like the movie is supposed to be 
in excess. Everything is in excess. I understand that. But we don't need our projectile vomiting to also be in excess. It's just it, it just felt so out of tune with the rest of the film. It, it was just this weird, like, I don't know. It, it felt like somebody hit a wrong note in the symphony. Mm-hmm. And yep. that is all that I could hear. I was very frustrated. Oh, yes. We could not, we could not miss that. Very interface. Okay. Other things that we want to talk about with Babylon? Okay, I have one thing that I really loved that I think it was interesting to see the way that Damien Chazelle is kind of captivated by this idea in his other films as well, which is this um, duality between what is reality versus what is the movies. Um, You know, in that scene, I think that you mentioned earlier where Manny is professing his love and um, they, they kiss at the bar and the film transitions to this like black and white uh, almost square looking aspect ratio with this like gritty texture over it like as if their life is a movie and you mentioned noticing that she also turns on this like her actress side of herself as well and this duality between reality and and what we've watched in the movies and wanting that to be part of our reality I think is really interesting and it's something that he also explores in La La Land as well like that whole third act sequence of um I forget her Emma Stone's character's name and Ryan Gosling's characters they they are like transported into this fantastical like musical sequence that they're like floating through the air and all this kind of stuff and this like interesting seamless transition between something being shot like it is in the movies but we are watching our real characters that we've been following um as protagonists throughout the movies throughout the movie is like a really interesting commentary that I think Chazelle seems to be captivated by which is I thought was like an interesting thread to see throughout his his other films as well Hmm. That is really interesting. I'm also realizing that I do not remember anything about La La Land. <laughs> it's fine. It was a couple of years ago. I think you you weren't a big fan of that movie either. I did not enjoy it. No, no. I, I did not. Which <sighs> it's, that could be why. I have high standards with musicals, so that's why. Yeah. Your brain's like, we must free up some space for some other yeah, things. Yeah, it, it often We can't keep this one in memory. Yeah, I have zero recollection of the movie. Wow, that's really bad. <laughs> but that's 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 an interesting thought. And I, I think even, you know, that is explored a little bit in Brad Pitt's character, Jack. You know, he he's trying to figure out like who he is. It's singing in the rain. Um <laughs> He's trying to figure out who he is when he's not playing a character, when he's not a leading man. Um, and that that tension between what is reality and what is stories, what is film. Uh, yeah, that is that is an interesting tension to explore. And that's cool that Damien Chazelle is is playing with that concept in different ways uh, throughout his movies. So it'll be cool to see how he continues to play with that theme. Uh, potentially in the future and how that that idea might evolve and grow as he evolves and grows as a filmmaker 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, those like movie moments. Like I think a lot of um, Manny's character, like he he is absolutely captivated by Nelly, and I think part of that is like him also replicating things that he's seen in the movies and this like love that can you know you run away together to and like him proposing that they're gonna run away to Mexico together like it's very fantastical it's very over the top it's very like classic love story that you've seen on the big screen that you kind like he's kind of trying to live out in his own life sorry buddy don't work that way Mm -mm. (laughs) especially not with her like there are 700,000 red flags all surrounding her (laughs) and he somehow is able to just push all those away and go oh te amo Nelly I love you like what no buddy no 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 which usually would be infuriating to me but I think Diego Calva does such a good job selling that that you're like it's just he's just misguided the man is misguided he's just confused Mm -hmm. yeah i so like in in my little version of this he flees he gets in therapy then he finds (laughs) his wife has a family yada yada so in in my view of this movie he he's good now he worked through some of his issues he is not passing on his trauma and his problems to the next generation we're doing great <laughs> yeah there's lots of great candidates for your uh their characters that everybody therapy list uh-huh. everybody needs therapy in this movie yeah every single one of them yep thoughts on uh brad pitt's character and his kind of his storyline like we haven't I, talked about him much yet. Yeah. I I thought that he was interesting. I I enjoyed I enjoyed his storyline, I think. Um because you see this like push and pull within him and you see, you know, he 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 goes to all these parties and he's this like larger than life figure, but at the same time he's he's just trying to like figure things out and he's He's trying to care for his friends and like take care of, you know, especially that that producer friend in particular. But at the same time, he he wants to have a good time. So it's just interesting. Not only is he a movie star transitioning from silent films to talkies and struggling with that, but he's also middle-aged and he seems to be struggling with that transition as well. Yeah. And I, so I just, I thought that that was really fascinating to see kind of his patterns throughout and, and how he's trying to, to just figure out his, his place and, and how to be a, a person. And so I, I was, I was pretty fascinated by him. He honestly, to me, he was probably the most interesting of those three primary characters. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's I, so interesting. Because Manny frustrated me. Nellie was just, oh my gosh, I could not handle her, even though she's electric on screen. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't stop watching you. Oh, she exhausted me. So Brad Pitt's character was probably the one that I was like, all right, all right, we got some interesting things going on here uh, that we could follow. Yeah. And I think his character becomes... The, the most interesting to me when he begins to realize that his career is fading and him having mm-hmm. to 
genuinely face that. And, you know, I think his first uh, sound film, his first talkie film, like is a total flop that he thought worked well. And I think it's just such an like a beautiful representation of also the creative process and how vulnerable it is. Like you put your heart and soul into this thing that he sees from the back of the theater that everyone's laughing at and how how difficult it is for him to swallow that. And no matter how big of a character he is and how much fame he has, like he too has his insecurities. And I think it just also is a really interesting representation of like how empty this fame and the attention and all this like you can feel like you're on top of the world but at the end of the day like you have to face who you are and like and and I think his struggle and his his journey towards the end there especially is him unsure of if he alone without all the fame without all the attention like does he still have value is he still worth something in a lot of ways his trajectory is incredibly tragic but um that conversation that he has with the uh Film cricket critic was one of my one of my favorite scenes as well. It's just such an um, interesting way to communicate that, like in a lot of ways, he he is immortal through the film strips and and that his films will be seen. And yet, for him, that still isn't enough. And we see that he takes his own life afterwards, which I I just thought that arc was so well done. I think the first half, he's he's just one of the many characters that we're following. But in the second half of his arc, he becomes really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it was just cool to to watch all of these changes in him throughout this movie. Like I, I feel like he is the one who changes the most over the course of the film. You know, we see, we see changes from Manny and I, I don't think all of those changes are good. You know, we see Nelly just, downward spiral like crazy and of course Jack does end up taking his own life which is absolutely tragic but we go on this this roller coaster with him that I I feel like we don't go on with the other two it's just it's I don't know to me he was just more interesting and there was more depth there by the end than there was with the other two yeah, the other two follow the like more archetypal yeah. storylines and emotional arcs that we typically would see with that type of character. Hmm. Okay, any other last thoughts about Babylon before we wrap wrap up? Uh, okay, I spotted a continuity error and I have pinky ring information. Oh, yes. I remember seeing one of them. <gasps> But I forget yes. who knows. there's like a there's like a dedicated shot. There sure is. I saw that was and I went Sydney. Jen is gonna see this pinky ring. It was Sydney. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh would you like to know the other two? Oh, there are two more. Oh my goodness. There are two more. I'm I hope that Toby Maguire's character has one. I I did not see one on him. Okay. No. Mm. So the other two, uh, one of them is interesting. So uh, Gene Smart's character, Eleanor St. John, the, the gossip columnist person, oh. she wore them, she wore two pinky rings in some scenes, but not all scenes. So like her mm. rings were constantly changing, 
sometimes she wore two, sometimes she wore none, which I just found fascinating. Weird. And then the other one is the female director. Oh, what? She wore a pinky ring. Interesting. Right? I loved her energy, by the way. Just, just like such take charge. She's such a presence in the room. Yeah. Like, yes. Which imagine being a female director back then. In the 20s. Yeah. Like, you would have to have that take charge energy to be Mm -hmm. able to do that. So, man, (laughs) respect, girl, respect. Okay. But the other two are women, which are less in scope. So I think this is still tracking yeah it's I I think it's interesting so like maybe my my asterisk or my addendum for pinky rings always being villains is unless you are like an artist or a musician because that <laughs> yeah I, I yeah. think that's one of the caveats because it's part of the like edgy style yeah of- being an artist and, yeah it's like know, a it's a style thing a rather statement. than an evil henchman thing like if you are a normal human being <laughs> with a normal occupation and you got a pinky ring yeah. on who's got questions yeah you gotta be a bad guy okay. but if you're yeah. an artist there's a, it's a little different well this can be like chemistry we'll have a, a rule and then we'll have a couple asterisks yeah acceptance yep mm-hmm but this is this is the first real exception we've had in a while. Yeah, sure is. And at first, because the first time you really see Sydney, he's being an absolute asshole. Like he is mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. awful to his fellow musician. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you going to be a villain? Is this going to be amazing? Uh, and then he was not. He honestly, I wish the movie was centered around him. Yeah. I yeah. found him fascinating. I wanted to know so much more about him. I also wanted more trumpet solos, but that is not that movie. But no, he did wear a pink ring. See, that's one of those like side character additional storylines that really start to gain momentum in the second half of the mm-hmm. film. And it's hard because I think that having that character included in this like creates a much more interesting kaleidoscope perspective of this era so I'm like I don't want him out of the movie same thing with um what was the other character Lee the one the the one played by Lee Jun Lee she's kind of this like temptress that comes out and performs Lady Lady Faye yeah another Mm -hmm. one where I was like I she she adds they both kind of like add interesting color to Mm -hmm. this world but and we, we get some scenes with them where we kind of feel like we're beginning to get to know them as characters, but they don't have enough to then to then feel like there's a full arc that happens there. So those are those are ones that I feel conflicted about. Mm-hmm. Me too. So this is why this is three hours long. <laughs> I'm sure there's a cut where there's a lot more of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I especially Sydney. Yes. I was so interested in him. Yeah. I wanted so much more. Yeah. But alas, that is not what we get. Mm -mm. Okay. So the continuity error that I found. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's probably tons in this, in all the background. No. I only found one, though. I was so bummed that I only (laughs) spotted one. 
because there were there was probably because there's just so much happening on so screen that <laughs> you know you know where do you look <laughs> I know right so um the one that I found was uh after Manny takes Jack back to his house after the party uh and and Jack is talking on the balcony he has a cigarette in one shot he is talking with the cigarette in his mouth and then in the next shot it's in his left hand but you don't ever see his hand go to his mouth and then in the next shot I think it's back in his mouth <laughs> wow yeah so but yeah that's that the continuity yeah <laughs> couple times like, wait wait that cigarette's in the wrong place <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> I'm always just impressed that you can spot these tiny little differences. It's just, I, I don't know why. It's like circled in red in your brain it, when it, it happens. It really is, honestly. I miss, <laughs> I miss big things like themes and metaphors and stuff. But I can find a continuity <laughs> error and a pinky ring. Those I got. Because, because when you spot them, your your brain is exploding with glee. Yes, it's very. And who exciting. knows what they're talking about at that point? <laughs> who cares? Honestly, to find a continuity error in a movie is like, yeah. wow, that is fun. Because Do you get the equivalent of like when you play Mario Kart and you like get the coins and there's like the dings that go off that Absolutely. are just like dopamine rushes to your brain. It's true. It's true. You're you're exactly right. That is my Mario Kart gold coin right there. <laughs> Oh, man. Well done. Well done. You did it. And a movie like this, too, man. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was in a scene where there was only two characters and nothing was going on in the scene other than the two characters. So my brain could stop and focus on something. But yeah. uh, still, we got there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Meanwhile, my brain just like drunk off of this movie. I'm like, I don't even know where up is and down is and left and right anymore. <laughs> That's fair. I'm That's stumbling fair. through this world with all these <laughs> drunken people as well. <laughs> it's okay, but you made it out. Mm -hmm. You survived Babylon, which is a big deal. I did. I like took a deep breath when I walked outside and like <laughs> saw the sunshine and the trees. Right. Like, oh. <sighs> wow. Okay. We're here. <laughs> All right. Well, this is our review and discussion of Babylon. You can find it available out in theaters. And we recommend checking it out in theaters. I think it's worth, worth the experience for sure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection. And it's something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment. And we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about Babylon. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss a very different type of movie, White Noise, Noah Baumbach's latest film. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next week. <laughs>